The 2023 competition season is almost over, but I've still got a few more beers to brew for that last competition. And I'm going back to one of my favorites to start off this home stretch. And we're going to talk about what that is right now. Welcome to Big Monster Brewing. I am Matt. And in this episode, this is about not only one of my favorite styles of beers to brew, but it's also one of my favorite styles of beer to share. This style has been a go-to beer for me for a lot of things, for parties, festivals. It's a style that I've actually used to teach people how to all-grain brew. It's a style that features a little bit of everything that goes into brewing a beer, and it goes great with almost every situation. Meals, relaxing, getting drunk. thats It's like a Swiss Army knife of beers. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but I think you know what I'm trying to say here. It's also a safe beer to enter in the competitions. It usually does well score-wise. Sometimes it medals, but it's also one of those beers that typically doesn't end up making it to that final podium for best of show. But it's still a safe bet for something to put in, especially when you're in the final stretch and your club's about to take home the cup, which is the reason I'm brewing it. One really good thing about this style, at least in my experience, is that it's it's not one that you have to repeat and rebrew the same exact recipe every time to get a great result. It's a recipe that really leaves a lot of room to experiment with, especially with the specialty malts, with it being a malt-forward beer. And almost every time I make this, it's a little different, mainly because of the malts I have on hand. So what I'm talking about is an American Amber Ale. And if you've had, if you're an Amber Ale fan, no doubt you've probably had some examples that lean Mostly towards the malty, but some can be, I don't want to say quite hoppy, but a little more hop forward than you've experienced with other beers, but it still comes across as an American Amber Ale. It's the malt forwardness of this that I like, and I like the kind of leeway you have to play with hops, but between those two, I think you can really do some fun experimenting with different things to see how it works out in your beer, especially one that you're just, you, you like to share and like to get different opinions on. And that's sort of where I'm going with this recipe on paper. It looks like a complete redesign of a recipe that's done well for me in the past, but it's really not when you get down to the like really fine details. What it is is that I'm, I'm kind of using different malts that I've discovered over this past year brewing other recipes that are in the same range of malts I've used before. As an example, I'm going to use Cara Red in this recipe. Typically in the past, I've used Caramel 20 to an extent. This malt is the same Lovabon, and that is the color range. They're, they're both 20 Lovabon. So I'm going to get a similar color character out of this, but I've found using Cara Red and a couple other recipes, there's a little more richness as far as the malt profile like kind of the grainy part of it that comes out of it that i get maybe more of a sweetness out of a caramel or crystal 20 depending on which malt uh, provider you use so i'm substituting that and it's going to be a slight taste difference but the color will stay the same that's why i'm saying why it looks like it's a complete redo but it's more of a experimental and substitution and not so much that it strays so far away that this is going to be a completely unrecognizable beer between what I've made before and what this is. I just think it's going to give it a little more life and a little more character than it had in the past. And that's kind of the goal to continually dial in some of my favorite recipes. So there is an important aspect to this beer that I don't want to labor on too much, but I do want this to 
do something in its last competition. I, I'm not counting on it winning. I never count on winning a gold or a best of show. I just hope it places somewhere along the line because we are down to this is the last competition of the season. We are ahead by over 50 points, which sounds like a number that can't be reached in one competition, but statistically, if the club that's behind us does really well and we do really poorly, that is a that's a gap that can be filled. So I want to do I want to make my best effort, I should say, uh, to do what I can to try to get a point on the board for us. I'm not guaranteeing it by any stretch of the imagination. There's no guarantee in this. There's so much that can go wrong just in brewing. And then once you're done brewing, it's in the hands of the judges. But I want to make sure I'm just not throwing together a recipe that I know people like and this should do well. I want to make that beer that people have really enjoyed better so that it's my best effort to get the club uh, my homebrew club, the state cup this year. I've never been with a club that's had a chance to win the state cup. We've all, but got it. We can't drop the ball. Now it's very unlikely, but statistics <laughs> exist for a reason. And I don't want to be in any part responsible for the, that, uh, that almost unsurmountable statistic to swing away from our favor. So that's why I'm working really hard on one of these, all my last beers for the season, trying to get them even better than they were before to at least be my best effort. If they don't, I want to hand off these beers knowing I did everything I could. I didn't phone anything in. They might not win anything, but I'll at least feel good knowing that I really tried. I might feel bad that my best effort didn't do well, but I don't feel I, I won't be looking back saying I really should have done this out the other thing. So far, all the beers I've, I've worked on for this competition, I'm really happy with what I did and, of course, hoping for the best. But beyond that, I also love this beer, so I'm going to go ahead and make two and a half gallons of it so that I have something to drink when all said and done. And we're not going to have any of that. No competition beers, no drinking beers unless we get started. So let's go to the recordings of this American Amber Ale. Brew day has begun for the Amber Ale, and I'm starting off with the water, naturally, as you do with the brewing, and I got the Anvil Foundry all set up. It's the six, the small one, the 6.5 gallon, two and a half, uh, two and a half gallon batch, sorry about that. Altogether, the water I'm using, using distilled water, 4.6 gallons, 3.6 are currently in the Anvil Foundry, which is three and a half plus about a cup and a half, just to give a kind of a round idea of how much water is in there. And the other gallon I have in a pot on the stove, but I won't heat that up till uh, halfway through the mash, I guess I'd say. I'm kind of guesstimating. And that'll I'll raise that up to 170 for sparging. We'll probably talk about that more when we get to that. But for this, I the anvil's running, the water's recirculating, I am shooting for 152. I want a rather high mesh temperature on this to get those complex sugar chains to not ferment out. So we got some body, some flavor, some texture, a little bit of sweetness on the flavor I should have mentioned. And yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. I do have my brewing salts together, but I won't be adding those until we hit about 100 degrees. Uh, I don't have the measurements in front of me, but I'm using I'm using some calcium chloride, Epsom salt, gypsum, and baking soda. The baking soda is there to offset some of the dark malts that are going into this. Well, a dark malt that's going into this, and should be uh, 
rather straightforward brew day no no weird additions no whirlpool no dry hopping in the end just a straightforward malt forward tasty fingers crossed beer i got to 100 degrees and i put in the brewing salts into the foundry and that's usually the cue i use to go get the grains together get all the malts together and that's what i'm doing now and I don't know, uh, I'm recording, I have not recorded the intro to the show. I've been trying to do the intros to the show before I brew, so I know what I said. That's not the case in this episode, so I'm not sure how much I explained about this. So I'll try to be brief. The first time I made an amber ale, it was for a festival, and it was made out of everything I had on hand. Whatever I could figure out to get to the color and flavor profile I thought the malts would make. Let's like I was calculating and and balancing like uh for instance i don't know the numbers let's say i needed a pound of 60l but i only had 80l and 15l i'd kind of calculate what amounts of those would give me the srm that or the color edition that a one pound of 60l would would give me and i did that with quite a few different malts to even the base malts was a mix i think between man i wish i had this in front of me but i know it was at least um maris otter and uh american pale malt probably possibly some munich in there again everything that on hand now that i was able to plan ahead for this brew day i reformulated this recipe to not not be the same obviously but improve <laughs> what that beer was the beer was always successful the keg almost always tapped and the one time it didn't tap or kick i should say one time it didn't kick at a festival i had enough for like six pack of bottles which I entered into two competitions and both won a medal, never a gold, but a silver and a, I think a silver, I think two silvers actually. So I want to improve this beer and make it a little less complicated. So for that less complicated grist, I have got, I'm starting with five pounds, 1.6 ounces of pale malt. Then I'm adding a pound and 1.6 ounces of cara red, which is going to give me some color. That's, it's only 20 SRM, so it's going to contribute color, but it should contribute more of that flavor that amber ales kind of bring, not, not necessarily, I was going to say a, the uniqueness of it, that's not necessarily true, but that distinctive flavor, that might be a better way to say it. And also along with that, I'm going to jump over one addition and say I'm adding four ounces of melanoid malt, which will also add to that, instead of doing a long boil and getting some car, uh, kettle caramelization out of this, I'm going to add that handful of melanoidin malt to kind of give that character, give it a little more fullness, a little more richness. Along with that, the one I skipped over was four ounces of ADL and crystal ADL. And that is going to give me a lot of color and a decent amount of sweetness as well. But for the final color to get it to that rich, gorgeous amber, not quite copper, not near brown color that an Ambrel is. I'm putting in 0.5 ounces, a half ounce of Craft of Three. It's amazing how little you can put in of any of the three huskless Carafa malts and get a ton of color and no flavor. If you smell like a pound bag of Carafa, you're like, oh, that's way too roasty. You don't need <laughs> near the amount to get the color change out of these malts than like than a pound like nowhere near a pound even for a five gallon batch well obviously this is a two and a half gallon if i was doing a five gallon batch it'd be an ounce of it probably a little less actually because the other the um addition of the other malts cara red and 
ADL specifically would also probably increase the color at five gallons a little more too. My point is, it, it is absolutely amazing how little goes a very long way with these malts. And that is going to, should give me, should, I'm saying <laughs> this without seeing it yet, the final product should give me a gorgeous, deep, deep red amber color. So, only way, one way to find out, and that is to get these malts weighed out, milled, and get on with the brew. While the mash is resting, I am going to, I have actually, I said I'm going to, but I have actually gotten the boil additions ready. And the hops profiles, the hop profile is not too different from my original recipe, because that's one thing I had on hand when I made that recipe was hops. So, so I could kind of do what I wanted with that. I didn't have to do any fancy mixing and mashing and calculation I did with the malts. I did make one addition though, because one thing I've always wanted from this beer was a little more hop uh, presence. Not, I don't want it to be a hoppy beer, but I want a little more, just a little more hop. So I put that in here and I'll talk, uh, let me just talk about it and then I'll explain when I get to it. So uh, I'm starting with a quarter ounce of Cascade at 60 minutes. Then I'm putting in a quarter ounce of Citra at 20 minutes. Then I'm putting in another quarter ounce of Cascade at 10 minutes. That's the new addition, which I'll talk about here shortly because I got one more, a half ounce of Citra and a quarter ounce of Cascade at five minutes together. That 10 minute addition, 10 minutes should be riding that line of being both a little bit of aroma and a little bit of flavor hop. Now I'm going conservative by using a fairly low uh, alpha acid hop compared to its partner citra but it's an experiment so i don't want to go i don't want it to end up being too hoppy and come across out of style of that but i also want there to be something so my i'm not i'm really not sure about the hop selection i'm a little more sure about the timing but we really won't know until the beer is done it shouldn't be too much that's the thing i wanted to give a little more hop but not too hoppy but if I err on the side of caution, it'll be closer to the original flavor and aroma profile, which has always been successful for me. So that's why I can, didn't want to stray too far away for it when it comes from the hops. Assuming the malt, this new malt combination does what I expect it to. There's no telling about that either. So we shall see. And oh, and along with that, I should mention at 10 minutes yeast nutrients and about five minutes whirl flock for kettle uh, finding. So just waiting now for do do what am i going to do i have to get ready to sparge and be able to get to the actual boil part of the brewing and put all these things together i missed a step in my last recording well talking about what was coming up i said i'm waiting to sparge i'm not waiting to sparge i'm waiting to mash out well i'm no longer waiting to mash out i'm mashing out so last 10 minutes of the mash I increased the temperature in the foundry from 152 to 168. That's where it's at now. It's sitting there. It's actually sitting at 169. So the heating elements are off. It's waiting to cool down. Once it drops to 167, they'll kick on. But 10 minutes of that, then I will remove the malt pipe and sparge. Hopefully that picked up on the mic. That means that the malt pipe has been lifted out of the foundry and is draining and I'm about ready to sparge, but I forgot to turn on the water while I was in mash out. So it's uh, 1.33 now. I'm gonna crank up the burner. It should only take 
like the lesser part, I hope, of five minutes. Five minutes at the worst to get to 170. Even 160 I'll be happy with. So I'm going to give this a few more minutes to catch up. I could do this at one. What's at 135 now? I could do it now, but I don't think it's going to take long to get to 170. So hopefully I won't be eating my words here in 15 or 20 minutes. So I went to 136 already. See, it's going to be just a few minutes. And then I will sparge out and get the boil going. I am sparging. And I know I talk about sparging every episode, except the one-gallon episodes. I'm, then I'm technically warlofing, so I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, that's not a conversation for now. It's a conversation for another another episode. But how do I sparge is something that might be on someone's mind that I never answered. And me specifically, there's a couple ways to do it. The way I do it, it's ridiculously easy. I keep the malt pipe extended out of the, or above the kettle, not out of the kettle. It's not going to do any good. Then I take my, I don't know why, my go-to measuring cup. It's this glass, um, it says oven basic brand, I guess, green markers, two cup glass measuring cup. I love this thing. I use it for everything. And I just scoop out the water out of the pot that's on the stove and slowly pour it over the dispersion cap, the lid, dispersion lid that comes with the foundry. And that's a, a lid that covers the top of the malt pipe and has holes, uh, I'd say about an inch apart across the whole thing so that it spreads when you're recirculating and sparging, it spreads the liquid all over the place or um, evenly ish ish. I mean, it's not rocket science accurate, but it's, it's better than just dumping a pot of water directly on top of the grains into serving the grain bed. And that's it. That's really it. It's that simple. Um, and it takes me, I don't know. I never timed it. I want to, I try to keep about, I don't know, just, well, I, I can't even measure it. I try to keep a nice even layer of water on top of it so that it's not rushing in too much at once. And yeah, that's, that's really it. It's, it's really that simple. So I don't think I ever explained it before. I have now. I'll probably forget I explained it in future episodes and go through this all again several times. Sparging is done. I've cranked up the anvil to the boil setting, so I'm just waiting for that to rise. We're at 173 now, looking for 212, of course. And I did take a pre-boil gravity reading, and in my recipe sheet, it says my target was 1047. I'm at 1049, so it was a little higher, like I expected, but not as much higher as I expected from the mash. So I think we're okay. I think it's within range, and... Um, for the two and a half gallons, Beersmith is used the jump from starting the amount of points, I should say, from starting or from pre boil to starting gravity is usually pretty accurate or pretty consistent. So 1055 is my goal. I'm two points over. So I'm thinking 1057 is probably what it's going to hit. And that's the amount of point difference between what Beersmith says on paper. So we'll see. So I'm going to note it now just so I can remind myself as I go, 1047 is what I'm expecting. I could write that down on the ample amount of blank space on the paper of the recipe I printed out, which I think I'll do as well. But right now, um, I, I'm not worried at all about being too high or too low. If it goes higher than that, no problem. If it goes lower than that, no problem. We're, we're within range is really a point of me even talking about this. So now I'm just waiting for the boil, and then this is going to be one of the busier boils than I usually have with all these additions. I got six additions all together, 
all of them could be at different times if I decide to put the world flock in under five minutes. So, uh, busy brew day, sort of, kind of. We're at 201 degrees, so I'm just still waiting for a little bit of a ramp up to boil. It's getting close. And I want to talk about the boil a little bit, give some details, mainly the fact that it's a 60-minute boil. And I wanted to bring that up because I wanted to talk about how the kind of the idea for home brewers is shifting towards a 30-minute boil between the malts being the way they're grown and changed and another word that man, escapes my, it slipped my mind now. I can't, I know, I, I, it'll come to me when I'm done recording, but the idea of the kind of trend, what's the word? Uh, God, man, words are escaping me today. The tradition for lack of a better word, of doing a 60-minute boil has been to drive off the off flavors that malts used to produce. But now, since they're more heavily modified, which is the other word I was looking for, now that they're more modified, that's not as necessary. So the shift has been towards a 30-minute boil, which I am 100% behind. I think if it's proven to work, which it's been proven by many people, and if it saves you time and just is is just a, a better way of doing things or even different with the same result, that's fine. The problem is, for me right now, at this point in time of the year, is that I am brewing, some of this beer is going to go to competition. A lot of this is going to be drank at our Halloween party, but there's three bottles that are going to go to competition. I've not been able to dial in either foundry for a 30-minute boil and hit my numbers yet. That's something I'll have to work on. This is not the beer to experiment on and miss all those numbers and not get the final result I would expect out of the foundry. So I'm doing a 60 minute boil on this because I am reasonably sure everything that goes well, no infection, no unexpected problems, I'm going to get the beer I plan to make from this Anvil Foundry from this brew day. Later down the line, like this is one of the last ones I'm doing for competition, I'm going to start trying to dial this in for 30 minutes and get my numbers so I know how to write my recipes. So in the future, I will be shifting towards the 30 minute boil as well for some beers. Now, my old ales, we heavies, I want some kettle caramelization. So we're gonna stick with extended boils, two hours, maybe more. But for like an amber ale, IPA, pale ale, I'd like to shift to 30 minutes, but today's not that day. So I just wanted to kind of talk about that as I wait. And I managed to wait out another seven degrees. So we're almost there, almost ready to start to boil. Boil started and it's going pretty good. And right when I started the timer for 60 minutes, I dropped in that first top edition, which was the Cascade. And now I am still cleaning. Let's see, I've gotten done the malt pipe, the plate, and I got the pump disconnected. I cleaned the pump head. Now I gotta do the hoses in a couple buckets. So I will have plenty of things to occupy my time until I get to that 20 minute boil edition mark. I just did the 20 minute edition and I won't have anything until 10 minutes, which is another edition of hops and the yeast nutrients. And I've cleaned everything. I'm going to go ahead and put in the chilling uh, set up the whole chilling everything now the um they're gonna put the immersion chiller in the boil get that sanitized get the hoses hooked up get start getting some water in the bucket that the pump sits in and be a little a little early to put it in usually I like to wait till 15 or 10 minutes but since i have a couple things to do at 10 i figured i'll take the time i have now and do it 
Shouldn't hurt anything putting it in an extra 10 minutes, so gonna go ahead and get that all set up. Everything is done boil-wise now. All the hops are in, the yeast nutrients, and now the whirl flock. Just got a few more minutes left in the boil. You can probably hear water running maybe over here. It's me filling up the bucket for the chilling. And I'm gonna try to get this down to 65 degrees. I'm pitching Imperial Flagship yeast. I really like how it works with these kind of ales and malt forward beers, so that's what I'm going with. So, um, not much to talk about. I might come back as I'm chilling it just to kind of give an update of where we're at. But other than that, boil part is almost done. Well, the chilling's done, everything's in the fermenter, yeast is pitched, and I was debating whether or not to put a blow-off tube on, and I finally figured if I'm even thinking of the possibility of this needing a blow-off tube, put a blow-off tube on it. So I did, so that was all set up too. And now onto the fun task of cleaning, but to wrap up the brew day, the starting gravity did come out to 1057, as predicted, surprisingly. So everything's good. Got two more points than expected, which is going to be... I don't even know if I'm negligible. That's going to be an ABV, but not much higher than uh, calculated, assuming everything ferments out. So now that is something that only time will tell. And I don't need to touch this thing again for a couple of weeks, probably, because no dry hopping, no strange additions of any kind. Just let it do its thing. It's a full three days after brewing the amber ale and it's now safe to replace the bluff tube with an airlock. The Krausen has not completely fallen. Actually, let me take a look at it again. It's, it's, there's a, a thin layer of Krausen on it, but I'm glad I put the blowout tube on because this thing, the crust on this amber ale fermenter goes all the way to the top into the neck. And in fact, the blowout tube, which I still have sitting here because I did take it off. It definitely got into the valve of it i'm not i don't see a too lot or too lot i don't see it going too far into the hose but i can see it having gotten into the hose so definitely needed that glad i decided to do that so now a three-piece airlocks on it and that's what's going to be on it till the end and everything looks great the color looks great it's really murky because there's about a trillion some yeast in there having a good old time but it looks great so uh just gonna wait it out and obviously till it's done. That's all I, I need to do yet on this beer. It's tasting time for the American Amber Ale. And another disclaimer, the tasting time has kind of actually come and gone only because we just had a early Halloween, well, a Halloween party, Halloween theme party. I guess it's not early when it's about 10 days out from Halloween, but a Halloween party and we wanted to put a couple beers on tap. And this is one I had available that actually liked how it came out. So not only did I taste it to make sure it was okay, nothing wrong with the beer and the keg, or going through the line in the tap I put it on, because it had been a while since that particular tap had beer on it. But I had some good compliments from friends at the party as well. So my reaction won't be instant. It'll be a revisited reaction on this. But first... Let's talk about the color like we always do. Color is spot on. I always try to get it in that red range, that really deep, not quite copper, like a little more red than that. It's it definitely amber. I mean, that's that's the name of the beer, Amber Ale. But I like it on the kind of the deeper scale of that, just before it starts dancing into that brown 
color terror toy. I don't know why I use the word dancing in there, but there you go. So before before it starts reaching that color scale. So this is a deep amber. When I hold it up to a uh, light source, the the uh, I guess you'd call it the highlights in it. Yeah, the highlights in it are so nice. They're they're they stay amber. They don't cross into a golden. They're more of a light amber. So you have the whole range. This this beer from light from its lightest uh let's see the lightest um can't think of the word i'm looking over lightest highlights i guess too it's the deepest shade of this when you hold it up is it's amber all the way through it never varies from that and i really like that in not just this rare beer but any beer head on it is fair it's uh doesn't pour real he- well actually i take this back it doesn't pour out of the bottle which is what i had uh, poured this out of because I set aside a bottle in case that keg ran out and I wasn't able to pour myself a beer and it's very close. In fact, it might might not have filled the glass what's left in with what's left in there. So I did pour it out of the bottle. The head was about on these lower side of medium, but it's holding. There is a very thick layer of moussey foam on top of this that fell to a small head, but that's just held there since then. Now Towards the end of the party, when we had this beer, it was pouring super foamy. That's probably because it was towards the end of the keg and may have something to do with the line on that tap. Like I said, I haven't used it for a while. Maybe something kind of loosened up just over age and it might be getting a little air in it. Couldn't really tell that the beer tasted oxidized. It was being freshly poured, but maybe. There may have been a, a couple... Uh, factors in there i'm gonna I'm, I'm thinking i'm leaning more towards the fact that it was probably because it was getting very low in the keg so more co2 was sitting on top of it and pressing uh, a lot less resistance than a full keg but either way um nice head nice color head it's it's just off white and i guess that's it for appearance let's go for the aroma and this is what i like about a malt forward beer i love the aroma, the strong aromas of various malts, not just that sweet malt aspect and not something that's under attenuated as cloyingly sweet. This has a richness to it. It is very sweet forward, but there's a little breadiness, a touch of nuttiness in there, big caramel, big, dark, almost burnt sugar flavors. It's it's really fun to get a complex aroma that's not leaning on hops. And I love hops too. When hops are used well and used in the right combination, you can get some fantastic aromas out of that. In fact, my last episode, the cold IPA, the aromas on that were absolutely amazing. This has no hop character at all. Maybe there's some floral in there or some earthiness supporting all that, but it's not what's forward. It's all malt forward. And it's also just as fun to take in as a very well hopped and hop forward beer, just on a, from a different perspective. So I'll take one more check of the aroma. Yeah, not much more I can really say about that. Again, this is not my first um, uh, taste or uh, experience with this beer. So I kind of already had my mind made up what it's, what not what I was going to say, but what this beer already is. So not, you can see I'm not really pondering over it as much as usual, but I'll get the taste. I'm sure I could talk about taste on this just as much as I did on the first uh, sample of this. So let's, uh, let's go and find out. Okay, this is what's fun about this beer, and I said this yesterday talking to a friend. It doesn't taste as sweet or the same sweetness as the aroma. It's actually 
it borders on dry. It's not dry, but it gets, it almost gets there. And there is much more of a bready, almost cracker, maybe a little baked biscuit, baked bread crust flavor in there as it goes, washes across your tongue and your palate. That's the initial thing, which is kind of a surprise after you smell it. It was for me the first time I tasted it and him as well. And the aftertaste is where those caramels, the sugars, the just baseline malt sweetness come out. So it, it goes, it starts one direction. And until you stop and finish the beer, literally that you're at least that, that sip of it is when you get a different layer of flavor. And they're two very distinctly separated. It, it's definitely one, the, the dry, the malt, the bready malt of it, the, the grainy malt part of it. Only comes out on the tongue. Even after the fact in the aftertaste, there might be some sweetness that's kind of lingering back up as you breathe that's coming across your tongue, but nowhere near as what's staying in that aftertaste. It's really interesting. And a lot of amber ales do this. This is, this is one thing I used to like about the original Fat Tire, or at least what was original to me. The new one doesn't quite do that anymore. And actually, I can kind of say the same about the original Sam Adams Vanna Lager, but their change, or their Boston Lager, I guess it was its name, but they haven't changed it as drastically as Fat Tire, but that's not what this episode is about. This is about this beer, and this has got that very fun, complex taste going on, but it's also, if you're not drinking to beer, the drinking this beer to analyze it, it's also a refreshing beer, and it just does its job at being tasty, Probably would want a second one of these, uh, depending on what you're definitely what you're eating. It would be a, the food complement is going to be a huge factor in how much you drink of this. But as as far as a drinkable beer, a beer that's good, no, definitely no off flavors, nothing like that. It does a very good job at that too, which is wasn't really a goal, but it's nice to have that recipe in my uh, library. I was going to say arsenal, but that's not the right word. I guess my library, because I could make this again. It'd be a great festival beer. It's, in fact, Amber Ale is a festival beer I usually make. This is a new version of that recipe, and I think I'm actually a fan of this one more than my last couple. But I'm going to take a taste again, see what else I can talk about. It's yeah, it's just so strange how it's it will sit there dry on the tongue, definitely bready, and then finish sweet. In fact, there's even a little bit, a little punch of roast that comes out right directly on the finish and then completely disappears with the sweetness so even more complexity when you look for it if you're not looking for it it's probably not there which means it's not at a distracting level either which is also a good thing for a well-balanced beer in my opinion mouthfeel i did kind of pay attention a little more mouthfeel on that it wasn't really concentrating on that before very smooth very it's medium body it's definitely not thick not heavy not slick, no weird uh, textures as far as the viscosity. That was the word I was trying to think of. It, it's not viscous. It's just, it's and not watery. It's right in between. This is where I want almost every beer I make to be, unless it's a really high ABV, really high sweet multi beer. This is kind of what I strive for in the feeling of a body of a beer. The carbonation is out of the bottle. <laughs> it's on point. It's just enough to wake up all that flavors. Wake your mouth up, particularly your taste buds, and it lets the beer express its characteristics and its somewhat complexity really well without being a really heavily gassy beer that can sometimes, a really heavily carbonated beer can kind of just, that, that sensation really can mask 
a character, the character of a beer. If you're not specifically looking for things in a beer, I think the carbonation on this is on point. At least again, out of the bottle, out of the keg, it seems to be a point that's a little too heavy, but as this is in my glass, this is perfect. And a beer, I'm just going to enjoy finishing. So as far as where I'm going with this beer, I'm going to make this again. I did make this for specifically, I did make this for the last competition of the Florida circuit season. And I made two and a half gallons. So I also pulled off a couple of cans for an out of state competition. It hasn't gone to one yet. I just have them ready for when I pick one. And then the rest was in the party because this will not last until the first competition of 2024. So why not enjoy it? I plan to make this again. I think this is on my list of festival beers, which I've done none this year because my competition season was so busy. I made a promise to myself and to my wife that I was not going to do that this year and have more for in 2024. I'm going to have more fun with beer. So I'm going to be going to as many festivals as I can with my club. And I think this will be at one of them, if not a few of them, because that's what I always like to bring. I try to bring three beers to a festival, one that's malt forward, one that's hoppy forward, so they can get an idea what you can make at home. And then one that just draws people to the tent, like a candy corn beer. Like if, if there was a festival just oh, yesterday as well, um, that would, would have been perfect to introduce a candy corn beer to for this, this time of year. But hot pepper beer is one, I, is one of my go-tos. Uh, my wife has a Uwe Gosa beer. So something that draws you in, then lets you try the other beers, then maybe get someone interested in the hobby because that's one of the main goals of our club and I think every homebrew club that exists. So going to do my part for that next year, and I think this beer is going to help me out a lot with that. So that's really it. Uh, the tasting, like I said, short, kind of sweet compared to the other ones because I've already enjoyed quite a bit of this beer. And I'm going to continue to enjoy the beer that's in my glass now, uh, right now. And yeah, that's it. So to give a final wrap up here before I close out, I did start off this episode talking quite a bit about how this is for a competition. I did mention it too during this review, but I feel I need to point out that competition hasn't happened yet. So I still don't know what our club did or didn't do, but I have a feeling that if we do win, that I will be doing some kind of episode about about that and maybe just about the competition season in general for people that haven't experienced it just so you know what you're you're getting into from beginning to end but we're all anxious to find out it's th that lead we have is really good but it's just you never know if it was if we would have went into this lead or this competition with a lead with a number more than the number of points that were can be awarded in the competition. That's the only way I think we'd feel safe. And I think that's, that's like, that's a couple hundred points. I think, I don't know that that's even possible to do, but we didn't do that. So we're not sure. We're all of course, hoping for the best, trying our best. And we shall see very soon, a little less than a month from when you may be listening to this episode, if you're listening to it, the week it posts. So more on that later. So, all right, that is it. This beer's not going to drink itself, so I'm going to go ahead and take care of that. And I will also say, of course, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.